Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by nutrition and health coach Stephanie Foster. Stephanie and I had a really fun conversation diving into her story about IBS, how she overcame it, and how that story helped her become who she is today as a coach. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Stephanie, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a Monday, but it's a beautiful day here in Houston, so I'm excited. (laughs) And I have to admit, Mondays are my favorite day of the week. Like I just crush so much stuff on Mondays. I love it. That's amazing. That's way more than most can say. So I love that you are. (laughs) Most people think I'm crazy. My colleague, him and I talk every Monday. Him and I are both in the same boat. Like we love Mondays. We get so much stuff done. But yeah, most people think I'm crazy. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of reframing that you can do around Mondays. So Mondays can be the new Friday. I don't see why not. Exactly. I like it. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you not just because of what you do with your nutrition, but because of your story behind it. Um, You have not been doing the nutrition thing all your life. You had a different career. Um, You kind of went there because of kind of what you've dealt with in your own life. Um, So I really want to dive into your story because I think a lot of people could benefit from hearing your story. And then from there, we'll just kind of get dive into more of what you do specifically. So I'll let you kind of just intro yourself and you can say as much as you want to about that. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I really honestly kind of grew up in the typical household that, you know, I knew about calories and all that great stuff when you're kind of a teenager and going through it all. Um, but what I didn't really know was a lot of the, uh, things that I went through as a teenager, um, was really going to affect me later in life. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I went through college, I had the typical gain, the typical 15, 20 pounds, whatever it may be, ate like crap, slept like crap, all, <laughs> every, you know, everything that you kind of go through in college drank. Um, but after I got out, right, I kind of had that, uh, epiphany that I need to kind of lose this weight. So I went through and I cleaned up my diet. And when I started cleaning things up, I started noticing some things that were bubbling up for me that, well, one, I had kind of recognized uh, when I was in high school, but I didn't really look further into it. But it kind of really reared its ugly head whenever I was going through and cleaning up my diet. And that has to do with my gut. So I went through, um, a lot of different testings just to kind of figure out what it was. And so essentially anything that I ate made me bloat. Like I was six months pregnant. I could be in the best shape of my life, but anything, anytime that I would go anywhere, I would just bloat up like crazy. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I would have stomach aches and stomach pains. I really didn't understand what was going on. And I went to the GI doctor and I went through a myriad of all of these different tests. And I went through, you know, like probably like five or six different tests. And it cost me around like 800 to $1,000 out of pocket. Mind you, I had insurance and I'm like 23 years old and I was trying to like figure this out. And he just kind of gave me this blanket stare of like, look, I'm sorry, there's, we can't find anything. You just have IBS. And I'm like, okay. And for those that don't know, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. And it's really not 
you can't cure it. Um, there can be a myriad of different things that can cause it. And I didn't really know how to navigate that whenever I was given that diagnosis. And it really sent me down this spiral of having to do my own research and having to figure that out. And after so much digging, I realized that the reason why I was given IBS was because my gut was extremely unhealthy. It was extremely inflamed. I probably had leaky gut at the time, but I didn't have anyone at the moment to actually give me that diagnosis. And, um, and the reason being after doing a whole bunch of research and digging and figuring it out, it was really because I had gone through a myriad of different antibiotics. So I went through a whole bunch of, um, unfortunately yeast infections and UTIs to the point to where the doctor actually gave it to me. She gave me the prescription just to have at hand. So I didn't have to come in. She just kind of gave me a paper be like, all right, you know, whenever you need it, you know, just go ahead and go fill that out. So I had it on demand. That's antibiotics on demand. That's crazy. I had no idea what that was going to do for me. Not only was I having that issue, but I also was taking Accutane at the time. And Accutane is pretty severe for those who have um, acne. And it also wreaks havoc on the gut. So anytime you take antibiotics, you are actually just like picture your gut as like the microbiome, right? It's almost like a city and it's beautifully built. Everything is great. And then just drop a nuclear bomb in the middle of it. And it just, everything is destroyed. And after that, well, guess what? The rebuilding process comes along, right? So you rebuild it. It's not quite the same as the first time. So, but you know, it's getting there. And then guess what? Another antibiotic. So you drop another bomb on it. So you have to rebuild it again. So it's not quite the same as it was before. There might be some different structures here and there, or it's missing something here. And so every time you do that, it can actually take up to two years to rebuild your gut back to kind of the way that it was. It will never be the exact same as it was because antibiotics are gonna get rid of the good and the bad um, bacteria in your gut. And on top of that, I was taking Accutane, which is severely terrible for your gut. And it can be pretty um, detrimental to your body as well. Now I have porcelain skin. I don't have any issues with acne now, which is great, but it, it really did wreak havoc on my gut. And so I didn't really realize that until later. And um, I went through every diet possible. Well, not only one to get rid of the weight, as I mentioned before, you know, I went through ma the master cleanse. I don't know if you've ever heard of that diet, which is like it's a silly diet, but it's like a lemonade diet with maple syrup. And that's all you drink for like six days. Yeah. I tried that. Um, I tried juicing. I tried, uh, the whole 30 paleo bodybuilders type of diet. I tried, um, this, uh, elimination diet called the plan as well, which that led me down a, another path of almost like orthorexia. I was a really afraid to eat anything because I thought that anything I would eat was going to cause some sort of inflammation. It had me weigh myself every day. And if I went up 0.2 pounds, then, oh, that one food that you introduced, that's an inflammatory food for your body. So can you imagine a lot of the foods that I had to get rid of because of that 0.2 pounds? 
never said anything about sleep and never said anything about water or your cycle or anything like that. No, it had to point towards that food. And I got really obsessive with uh, the different foods I was putting into my body. And that made my anxiety go through the roof. So IBS and anxiety do not go well together. <laughs> they do not go well together at all. One, it's just one of those things where it's like, is it chicken or the egg? It's just this loop that kind of reinforces each other every single time. And especially anxiety can really be held in the gut, in the abdomen, right? So anytime that you're not feeling safe, you'll notice that either your breathing is really shallow and that your, your uh, core is going to be tense. And so again, that's kind of telling your body that something's not right. And you're not going to be in that rest and digest period where you're able to digest foods properly and uptake them properly. So I did not have that either. So there was a bunch of different things going on with IBS. And that's how I found the ketogenic diet is because I actually went through a nutritionist after going through so many different things. I was just, I just had it. I was just like, I just need help. I don't know what to do. I went through so many different testings, so many different doctors. And I finally just found this uh, nutritionist here in Houston. And she told me uh, that I might have leaky gut and there might be a myriad of different foods. Most of them probably carbohydrates. If you've never heard of the FODMAP diet, it's fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, polysaccharides and disaccharides FODMAP. I think I got that right. <laughs> and polyols. <laughs> I'm like trying to go down the thing. I was like, oh, wait a minute, but FODMAP F O D M A P. So those are different types of, um, essentially carbohydrates that can be not broken down really well. So you might be able to uh, break down a polysaccharide and, or a disaccharide, but not the others. So it kind of differs. And again, almost like an elimination diet as well. It doesn't quite cure anything. So I was finding all of these different band-aids, but it was actually never finding a solution to having to heal my gut. And so keto was really that first step for me because uh, she had me intake less than 60 grams of carbs a day. Now, mind you, I was in that typical mentality of you know, work, going to the gym, working out, building muscle, trying to get stronger. And I'm thinking that I need carbs. Like it is essential to be able to get strong, to build muscle. There's no way. And I was actually intaking about 200 to 250 grams of carbs a day. So that for me was a pretty big adjustment. <laughs> I kind of looked at her like she had three heads. I was like under 60 grams. So am I going to like live? Like, how does this happen? How do you, how does that work? And I'm kind of one of those like all in or all out type of people. And I found, um, I don't know how I stumbled upon it. I think it was like on a podcast or something or another. And I saw, stumbled upon the keto diet, but I saw that that was under about 30 to 25 grams of carbs a day. So like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all the way and see what happens. And yeah, that was in summer of 2017. So now it is 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of things to dive into there. Um, I want to back up first to like you searching for like answers to your IBS, because so many times with any diagnosis, people are just given a diagnosis, like, all right, this is what it is. Give me the, whatever medication I need. And I'll just go on with my life. What was it, whether it was like 
what was it for you that made the decision of like, there's like, I'm not going to be on medication for this all the time. I'm going to find the solution. Yeah, I, I tried everything. Um, I went through, uh, like I mentioned before, I was like, okay, well maybe eliminating things from my diet. Um, I had, the, so I had IBS-C, which is the constipation portion of it. So there's IBS-C, there's IBS-D, so diarrhea, constipation. And I could not go to the bathroom for days and it was terrible. Um, and they would give me a pill for it, which made it to the point where it was like the opposite. <laughs> so I had diarrhea. So I was like, I don't know if that's a great trade-off, but cool. At least I can go to the bathroom, but that's not also what I'm looking for. It was like, there's gotta be a better way than this. And, um, I, I also did a, was it hydroclonics or hydroclonic cleansing or oh, yeah. something like, yeah. So I, I did that as well. Um, which is a different method. It's not something that I would super recommend. Um, but I've tried literally almost everything. I, and, uh, and so when I dove into it, I just kind of kept finding like inflammatory foods, right. You know, the gluten and whatnot, and even grains can be inflammatory and certain foods for every individual can be also inflammatory, depending on what your sensitivities are, you know, and going down that rabbit hole. And a lot of the times, I think every time that I would have mostly carbohydrates, it, my gut would get inflamed. And also, I again, I didn't have the microbiome built up like I should have. It was always inflamed because I was always eating junk food or always eating foods that weren't supporting it. And so it wasn't allowing it that space to actually heal. And so that was my problem. And I knew, and for me, I'm very much a rebel. Like I, I love Western medicine and that's great. And I think that there's, you know, a, a time for it, but if I can look towards an alternative to heal my body, I'm going to go that route first. And then if I need to find something else that I can't seem to find on my own or through, um, you know, that type of path, then I'm going to go that route and that's going to be my backup plan. Right. So that's kind of how I kind of started doing my own research in that regard. It's just when I did every single test that I could, I did a stool test. I did, you know, all of those, like a blood test. I did, I mean, so many different types and, um, I was just like, well, if they can't find anything, then clearly there's, there's still something there. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's the problem is that the people just, well, you know, we don't understand it. So we're not going to dive in deep. And that's, that's a lot of the problems whenever you go in and you just see your typical doctor and, and, and granted that's, that's fine. They have a lot, you know, of other methodologies that they use and they're not well-versed in nutrition. Yeah. And that's a, it's a, it's a very sad thing that they're not. And I think there's there's a lot of issues with the medical, with our healthcare system, but like one is the armburst nutrition. And the other is like, and I'm reading this book right now. So this also gets me on my soapbox, but um, <laughs> the other is like these medical schools, the physicians are taught to address symptoms. They're taught pharmacology. A lot of these medical schools are funded, partially funded by pharmaceutical companies. So it's like, there's so much, pharmacy and pharmacology invested into these programs that I don't think a lot of the physicians branch out to like find those other ways to treat. Yeah. It, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. 
you know, I mean, there is a lot of money in pharmaceutical. So it's just kind of the way that it is. Unfortunately, the dollar really has a voice and a lot of even our, you know, healthcare and our medicine and, and doctors, I find a lot of the time they have a really good heart and come from a good place. They're just not well-educated and maybe throwing a pill at it isn't going to solve the problem. And I think a lot of them are actually coming to the light and they're seeing that because they're not getting a lot of the education in terms of the nutritional value or the nutritional aspect of things, right? They maybe get like one to two hours or one to two classes, I think, in their whole um, schooling, which is insane, you know? And, and that's the thing is that, you know, pharmaceuticals have just kind of leached into our healthcare system and, uh, you know, there can be a lot of things said about that, unfortunately. And there are a lot of things that I don't agree with, but you know, it has helped a lot of individuals. And there's, like I said, there is a time and place for that. And it's a really good backup plan. If you cannot heal your body, um, naturally or through medicine or through, um, whole foods or whatnot and through nutrition. I like that viewpoint on it, that it, because there is a time and place for medications and for Western medicine. Um, but I like that viewpoint as far as like, it's my backup plan. Like if nothing else works, then we'll go that route. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that's the, that's the thing, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of money in it. So even a lot of like the research, you know, can be cherry picked and funded by pharmaceutical companies, for example, you know, the sugar craze versus, you know, the low fat craze. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so uh, a lot of it, and I think it was like in the seventies or in the eighties, but uh, there was a study that was funded by one of the sugar companies by Coca-Cola. And there was another study that was obviously not funded by one of the big major sugar companies or food companies. One of them pointed towards uh, sugar being lead, like a leader in heart disease or um, possibly leading to heart disease. And the other one pointed towards fat. Well, guess which one pointed towards fat? <laughs> yeah. And that's how the low fat craze came about. And then people started to get really obese and really sick. And people didn't understand why I'm eating low fat. I don't understand it. Why am I blowing up like a balloon? And people started feeling awful and diabetes is on the rise and people are still, they're moving more than ever. And then they're also, again, they're, um, trying their best with the, the nutritional, uh, information that they're given, but it's coming from something that was skewed, you know? And so that's really coming to the forefront, especially with keto kind of coming out, um, and, and being a little bit more popular these days, even though it's been around since the 1920s. So it's been yeah. around for a while. <laughs> it's not a new fad. <laughs> it's not a new fad. You're like, oh, this is a fad diet. It's going to go away. I'm like, no, it's not. It's been around for quite a bit. <laughs> like a hundred years, you know, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> it's fascinating. I'm reading like the book I'm reading right now. It's, it's called healthy eating. I want to say it's the big mistake, but it goes into all the studies behind cholesterol and like nutrition in general, but like how all these studies like didn't show anything, but all of a sudden like people just like took one little piece and ran with it for like cholesterol is the cause of all of these issues. And like, it just gets into all of those different studies and really how like there was no proof behind anything that created our like food pyramid or eating guidelines or 
or anything. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like correlation does not equal causation. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of the times they, they will pick it and they're like, it may cause heart disease. I'm like, may. So what does that mean? (laughs) But people will take it and they will see it and they're like, oh, and then they'll delete the may part and they see will cause heart disease. Yeah. And so that's the problem is that it gets really um, skewed and taken advantage of. And again, cherry picked. A lot of the science can be cherry picked and research can, and it's depending on how they conduct the trials and whatnot, it can be really come out to be supporting whatever you're trying to push. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break to talk about True Nutrition. True Nutrition is a supplement company. And yes, they do have the prepackaged bulk type performance supplements that a lot of companies have. But what I absolutely love about them are their customized options. You can get protein powder with a wide variety of types of protein in it and choose what flavoring you want on it. And along with that, throw in some different boosts to maybe help decrease your inflammation or improve your endurance, improve your recovery, really make it for what you and your body needs. And not only performance, they also have healthy food options as well. You can customize smoothies and oatmeal to really be what you want. So it's a very quick and easy breakfast option or even on the go option. So check out everything that they have at truenutrition.com. And if you use code GYF, you can save 5% on your order. And you can also check out all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com partners. And now back to our conversation. I want to dive into the keto element for a bit for the fact that like there's a unhealthy way to do keto, which is what the like kind of fads or when it became this like fad thing, which was like, let's just eat all the bacon and steak and all of this. And there's a healthy way to do it. So I'm curious, like what kind of a like day or week looks like in your world with keto? Yeah, keto, you know, everyone has like a different way of doing keto. We kind of just blankets a statement of like your, your way of doing keto, right? It's, it's something that can be modified and tailored to your specific lifestyle, to your likes. Um, for me, I do incorporate veggies. <laughs> it's not something that I just don't eat like bacon and butter and cheese. <laughs> it's, it's delicious, but like to be, I love vegetables. I am that weird person that I absolutely love veggies. And so I do incorporate vegetables and I do like, you know, the micronutrition that it uh, provides. And I do like the, um, the taste of it and the fiber content that it has. And that's also going to support my gut as well. And, uh, I do have to be careful with eating too, too much because then I do get a little bit of gut disruption. But, uh, what I typically do is, you know, sometimes I will be fasted in the mornings. So I like to work out pretty early. I'm an early bird. So I like, I work out first thing in the morning. I do have my coffee and I do have MCT with it. So it's a medium chain triglyceride for those of you who don't know. And, uh, that's something that helps bump up my ketone levels just a little bit, kind of give me a little bit of fuel before my workout. 
And then for lunch, I mean, I can just have a fatty protein. So that can not just have to be steak or bacon. It can be salmon. It can be chicken, chicken thighs, right? So you can have different types of fatty cuts of meat. It doesn't always have to allude to red meat. And typically I will side it with, maybe I'll have some spinach and yeah, I might have like, you know, some ghee in it, or I will have, um, uh, some cheese in it as well. And just to kind of bump up my fat because keto is a very high fat and it's moderate protein, very low carb diet. And a lot of people skew the protein part. They just think that it's protein, 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 and then they don't eat enough fat and they wonder why they're so tired. It's because you're flipping the ascent, like basically you're flipping what you're used to eating, right? So if you are used to burning sugar or carbs as fuel glucose, essentially, right? And then you take that out and then you don't add a alternate source of fuel, which is going to be fat. So whenever you take out carbohydrates and you're left with, you know, 25 grams a day, and that can really stem from very minute minor things, then your body has to look towards another source, another method of fuel, and that's gonna be fat. Well, the only way that it can use fat as fuel is to basically make some ketone bodies. And that ketone body is going to help convert fat into fuel for your body. Well, if you're not providing it with fuel, it's basically running on nothing, you know, or <laughs> it's gonna turn to protein to convert protein into glucose via a mechanism called gluconeogenesis. And that is very taxing for the body. That's a pretty rigorous method in order to get glucose. It's also kind of an expensive method to get glucose. Um, so it's, that's where it gets a little bit lost is the protein portion. They kind of think, oh, it's like Atkins. Okay, cool. You know, and then they just, it's like, let me just eat a bunch of meat. And then they feel like crap because they don't have enough fat to properly fuel their body. And so that's where the misconception can get lost. Um, and then for dinner, I can kind of have, honestly, I, I do love having myself a ribeye. So <laughs> some, I'll have probably some steak or ground beef, uh, especially like an 80-20 ground beef, um, probably a couple, two, three times a week. Um, and then I can incorporate some, again, some other vegetable and use that low carb veggie as a vehicle for fat. So loaded up with coconut oil or loaded up with ghee or loaded up with, you know, maybe some cheese or some sort of something in order again to flip that out. Because typically what you're probably used to is when you are incorporating more carbs into your diet, you will have, you know, probably 35% carbs on your plate. Well, take those carbs out. You got to replace it with fat. So that's how I kind of get most of my fat in there is, is using those types of um, fats. Awesome. Very cool. And I think when it comes to whether it's keto or not, I, I think what people don't realize is like our bodies do need fat. Like we can't just live without any fat. Our cell membranes are lipids. Our brain uses fats to like, as it's fuel, we can't survive without at least some fat in our body and the low levels that so many people live off of, like ultimately is not a good functional level. Yeah. And fats are super essential for hormone production. So it's just one of those things where if you really cut that really low, that can really mess with your hormones and people have to be really, really, um, cautious when doing that, especially if you're prepping for a show or anything like that, 
you have to be really careful with cutting your fats too low carbohydrates. You can cut them out and have no issues really. Um, but fats are essential. Fats are essential. Protein is essential. Carbs are not essential. And when I say essential, meaning you have to have them to live. <laughs> so, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, how dare she say that carbs are not essential. But, you know, they, they really are not. You can go on a carnivore diet, which is essentially zero grams of carbs, or maybe like one or two through, you know, if you have eggs, but it's, you can really, there are many people that live off of the carnivore diet. It's not something that personally I've ever wanted to do or done. And that can also be done super improperly if you're not um, doing your research and due diligence there, but you can do that. But going without zero grams of fat, not going to be fun for you. <laughs> so true right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be fun for you. You're going to like, oh, especially women, I'm going to lose my cycle. That can basically happen if you cut your fat way too low. It's essential for hormone production. You do need that. And then as far as like ketones go, I mean, that's really great for your brain health as well. It's going to cross the blood brain barrier very easily. And it's also just going to fuel your brain um, in place of glucose. I was actually speaking of the brain. Um, well, I was reading this book recently. I was talking about Alzheimer's and that when they give MCT, some of the studies, when they were giving MCTs to Alzheimer's, patients, um, like immediately their brain function would improve. So it's like, it would shoot up. And then in the morning it would be down again. They would get MCTs and that brain function would improve again. Um, so it just goes to show like what fats can do for, for the brain, nothing else. Oh yeah. MCTs are awesome. And, and so even when I do incorporate carbs, cause I do incorporate carbs every now and then I'm not strict keto 365 anymore. Um, but whenever I do incorporate carbs, I still keep MCTs in my diet, mm -hmm. um, simply because they're super fast digesting fat. They act a little bit different than other fats. They go straight to the liver and then is converted into the ketones. And then that's where you get that again, the ketone crossing the blood brain barrier and helping to fuel your brain. So it's a really you know, be, be very careful if, if, uh, if your listeners aren't used to having MCTs, it can be a little bit, um, disruptive. If you're not careful, if you try with the oil first, <laughs> um, and there's different types, there's C8, C10 and C12. So those are different chains. Um, and the C8 is going to be the fast, fastest, uh, breakdown of fat that you can find. Um, and that one if you take that in an oil format and you're not used to it, it can actually send you to the bathroom pretty quick, which is not, uh, again, it's not really ideal. <laughs> so really, I always tell people if they really want to start with MCTs, um, start with the powder first, and then you can go in towards with the oil. And if you start with a powder, I have a specific one that I use, um, but you can use basically like half a scoop and then work your way up to one full scoop. And then when your body's kind of getting used to MCTs, then you can go ahead and use like the MCT oil. And also coconut oil is basically a C12 MCT. Mm -hmm. I pretty much, coconut oil and coconut milk, like the full fat coconut milk are pretty much a staple in my diet. <laughs> oh, I love coconut milk, especially like coconut cream. So like a little hack is to put coconut milk in the fridge. And then once you leave it in there for a while and you open it up, then the solids is basically almost like coconut cream. And then you get rid of the guar gum and all that other stuff. And then you can put some stevia vanilla extract in it. 
and then you basically have like whipped cream and it's delicious. Yeah. I, I love cooking with it. I use it. Um, I mix that water and my pre-workout before I go to the gym in the morning. So I get a little bit of like that fat boost prior to my workout, nice. too, which is really good. Love that. Super good. I do want to dive into something that you do with your coaching. You have not mentioned it here, but we talked um, on the phone or talked on a call earlier about it, um, which is with your coaching, a lot of what you do is unpacking behaviors on like why we do what we do, um, why we eat what we eat and just all these things. Um, and I'm curious how your like experience, your background of like everything you dealt with really has helped you be able to like help other people with those behavioral issues. Yeah. So I had a history, I like to call it an entanglement, (laughs) (laughs) had an entanglement, uh, with anxiety and depression. Um, so I was diagnosed with that, um, when I was 17, given medication and I had medication and I was on medication for about five years. And that was a large part of my story. And I didn't really realize how that would link into nutrition, into food. But a lot of the times we use food as a coping mechanism. So depending on what type you are, many of us turn towards food for comfort. And it can really stem from childhood. It can stem from a memory maybe that was placed there. Um, But we do have a lot of importance that we put on food, not just as a fuel source. It is something that's a little bit more emotional. That's why it's really hard for a lot of people to give up certain foods, even though they know it's not good for them. They know they even they say in their language, I should not have had that cake. I should not have this, but I'm going to anyways right? There's, there's some emotional tie to that. You don't really find that with other methods or other things, right? It's like, it's like a laptop. It's like, oh, I should not have this. You know, it's just, I don't know. That was a really (laughs) poor metaphor, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like you you take something and, and you look at it and then, you know, you place some sort of emotional value on it. Like I could never live without cheese. Why? It's, Why couldn't you live without cheese? Is it going to be, are you going to die without it? No, you know? And so there's something that is triggering that. And a lot of people can, especially with binge eating or with uh, purging or anything like that, with any type of emotional eating, and that can be really triggering for people. Um, And so what I have found with a lot of my clients is that these behaviors, it wouldn't really start to rear its ugly head until maybe they're, you know, either when they're just starting out or when they're almost done with the program and then they're finding themselves, you know, well, I, you know, I have this and I know I shouldn't have and, and anything like that. And anytime you use should imply shame, there's some sort of shame around it. Right. And, you know, anytime I think that, you know, I like, I'm thinking of like somebody in the closet, just kind of eating cookies and hoping that nobody is going to find them. Right. And so we have to be really careful with how we look at food and we have to be intelligent about it. There is an emotional quality to it. You just can't throw that out the window and be like, no, it's going to be, it's just fuel for you. Like, come on, see it as rice is rice and chicken is chicken and cake is cake. Like, why can't you see that? And a lot of people, for some people, cake is celebration, cake is warmth, cake is family, you know, same thing. And depending on your heritage too, and your culture, right? Tortillas, for example, 
wow, that is like super part of the Mexican culture. And you're taking that away. It's like, well, I can't have like tacos with my family. And you're like, oh, yes, you can. There's other methods, there's other ways, right? And so it's just finding substitutions for those things, but it's also unpacking why they may gravitate towards food as a comfort source or as maybe they're trying to fill something. This can also happen with binge eating. If you are feeling, basically binge eating is almost metaphorical for filling a void. So if you feel really empty or you feel lost or whatever it may be, then you're stuffing your body and you're trying to stuff yourself spiritually, right? With food, with something that makes you feel good because you can't find anything that makes you feel good outside of food. And so food is really easy. And and in your mind, you can say, well, it's not a drug, but people can use it like a drug. Mm -hmm. You can use anything like a drug. But because it's food, they don't see it that way. And so really kind of unpacking that is also something that is um, that I do, that I help with. It is really interesting how people turn to different things. And I don't know if there's necessarily a rhyme or reason, but yeah, it's like some people it's food, some it is drugs, some it's alcohol, um, some it's like spending five hours in the gym to escape. And like everyone has their own separate escape and and, and food does get tricky because like you said, there is that cultural component that, that does play into a lot of things, but then it is a matter of like, is it a cultural thing or is it just a like more of an emotional attachment thing? Yeah. And I had a client actually, and she would be so good during the week. She was on top of it. Um, and she would eat exactly the way that she, you know, needed to for her goals. Right. And, um, but then the weekend would come around and on the weekend, she would sabotage her progress from the week prior, right. Monday through Friday. And I was just kind of like, you know, okay, well maybe if I set her goal, like, Hey, all right. So just set the goal of just this one weekend, this one weekend, try and, you know, make better decisions for your body. I never try to say you should, or you need to, right? Because I'm not making the decision for them. They need to make that decision for themselves as to what they want to do and what is ideal for their goal. And come to find out, she was having, again, so she was from Hispanic heritage. So she, whenever she was around family, she would have tortillas and she just could not say no. And what it really came down to is that for her, it wasn't even about the fact that it was with family. It was even deeper than that. It was because when she's with family, she feels relaxed. She could not feel relaxed. And so she tied relaxation with carbs or with tortillas. So she's a single mom of two young boys and she's a teacher and COVID happened. So you can imagine how she just has absolutely no time for herself. And she didn't really realize that's exactly why she was using carbs or tortilla chips or whatever it may be. It, was, it wasn't even just tortillas in general. It was just that type of food that she looked at the weekend as, oh, it's time for me to relax and screw it all, right? And so, okay, well, instead of carbs, or instead of a food source that is not going to help you get to your goal, why don't we look towards something else that can replace that? 
right? Maybe go get a massage, go, maybe if you want to go and go on shopping, or maybe you want to meditate. So we started learning how to meditate and taking time for herself, five minutes out of the day to just reconnect with her body and reconnect with herself. Because so much, so many times I find we're just so disconnected from us that we're just go, 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 go. And then we just, we lose sight of our body, of our spirit of our mind, all of those things. And so reconnecting her back with that. And she's just like, I didn't realize why I was turning to that. I had no idea why she was sabotaging herself. And so we pointed to that. She was just, it was like a big aha moment for her. I think we can all like, everyone has those situations, myself included. Like if I thought enough about like the things that I do and, and you know, we all have those things that we just like do that. We aren't sure why we do them. We just do them and they could be healthy habits. They could be unhealthy habits. Um, but it is really interesting when you start really diving into like the why behind the different things that we do. Yeah. And even like, I mean, it could be even to where, like, for example, um, if somebody just could not stop eating Snickers bars, right. Like I don't, I, they do everything right. But the Snicker bar, man, they got to have that Snicker bar and they don't understand why they have to have that Snicker bar, not any other bar, but specifically the Snicker bar. And it could be because maybe that specific person has a memory anchored to that specific Snicker bar, their parents, their dad maybe passed away. Right. And whenever she had a really, and I'm just speaking metaphorically, whenever they had a really bad day, her dad or their dad, whenever they were younger, would give them a Snicker bar to treat, to cheer them up. So guess what? Anytime that they want to feel better or have that memory or just feel that warmth and connection to maybe their lost parent or whomever it may be, there's that Snicker bar. So again, we're anchoring also memories, anchoring specific emotions to food. And so finding ways to re-anchor ourselves through different things rather than turning to food um, is also helpful. But I think the biggest thing is just awareness, really, because you, I mean, you're going to make that decision. You're going to have that piece of cake. I guarantee you, it's probably going to be, you know, in your whole lifetime, you're probably going to have a bite of cake. It's just going to happen. And that's okay. (laughs) You know, but it's understanding that you're not like reaching for it, almost like you're on autopilot and you're like, oh my God, I, and you're like watching yourself, like you're in a movie, you can't stop your hand from reaching down and grabbing that piece of cake. And you're thinking in your mind, stop, you gotta stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like we've all been there when we have that little, like us in our heads, we have like the angel and the devil, right? (laughs) On our shoulders. The angel's like, no, 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 don't do it. You know, it's not towards your goal. And the devil's like, do it, do it. So we have that, you know, conflict a lot of the times and we don't understand why, why do we have this conflict? It's cake. (laughs) It's really not that big of a deal. It's cake, but there's such a conflict with it. And I think it's just having that awareness and then knowing that you have sovereignty over your own decisions. You have power over your own decisions. And if you now know the reason why you make some of these decisions, then you have complete control. Awesome. And I'm going to say that was a perfect place to stop that conversation because that is a, I think it's just great kind of ending point reminder for everybody just to really dive into the why behind you do things. 
So mm-hmm. if someone wants to connect with you, learn more about you, where can they find you? Well, I made it pretty easy. So my company is Foster Health. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at foster.health. You can also find me on Clubhouse, also foster.health. Now my website, threw in a, a little bit of a, a curveball, is foster-health. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do, you know, foster.health.com. Doesn't quite work that way. Foster health is taken. So next best thing was foster-health. <laughs> so you can find me there as well. And um, I do have a Keto Curious program, which is a six-week intensive program. It's a group program for those who really want to try out keto and are curious about keto, hence the name keto curious. So it's naturally more for beginners. And then I do have one-on-one coaching to where this is where we really dive into all of that stuff that we just spoke about the behaviors, the components, um, also just kind of realigning yourself with your body, your mind, and your spirit, and making sure that all, for me, all houses of health are mind, body, and soul, and making sure that all of those are aligned. So that way everything works optimally. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate this. Um, it was great information that you shared for sure. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was really fun diving into this with you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And before I close out, I have two questions for you. Do you feel like you're in a plateau with your progress or do you feel like you're stuck in an injury cycle? Both of these issues are very common and both of them can be fixed very easily. Most often, both of these issues come down to how you're training, or more importantly, what's missing in your training. By figuring out what's missing and adding that in, your training performance will improve, your racing performance will improve, and your injury cycle will break. I invite you to get on a free 30-minute consultation call with me to discuss what's going on with you, your life, your training, so we can really figure out what needs to be done to improve that. So head over to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash doc to book a free call with me. Thank you again for listening today. I greatly appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.